0: Welcome to Caesar's Insider's Podcast. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing leading Caesars in the industry for a light conversation about anything from their favorite drinks to favorite vendor, to key influencers' biggest accomplishments and failures, myths they like to debunk, advice they want to give out, and even some tips they can extend to the eager vendor who's knocking on their door. Join us for a light talk. I encourage you to walk away with at least one insight that will help you better yourself or your business. Um so hi good morning uh and and thank you Ian for joining me today um so I think we've known each other for 20 years now and mm-hmm. yeah give it a take and and for sure you're one of the more interesting uh, people I've met in the information security domain um you're a true uh, information security veteran uh even before it was called cyber security 20 odd years ago you were the top expert in, uh, I think, Unix and Linux systems, uh, and you know you were working as a consultant for a while. Um, and I think throughout the years you you honed your skills as a manager and uh, and as an industry leader. I know you're a keynote speaker in a bunch of conferences and conventions. I know you you held a couple of uh, or you currently hold a couple of positions with some market leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you you occupied the role of director of information of security research back in the day with a few uh, security vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, under your belt, I believe uh, there are some names such as IO active and Amazon where you served in a leadership capacity. Correct. Um, uh, and I also remember that you're an active uh, board member with a bunch of startup companies and some 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 marketer organizations such as b-sides forbes and uh, recently i think svci um, yeah, correct. As an last investor. Year. yeah. Mm-hmm. and i know that you currently reside in israel after a short stint in the u.s i believe you were living in new york for 10 years yep.
1: i've been uh, uh, the last stint was five years in in new york city yes
0: okay okay and Right now, I believe you occupied the seat of the CISO uh, of Simpress Group, and I'm sure there are many more informa- many more details that I forgot here. So, if if you just want to give your perspective here, that would be a great time.
1: Sure. So, as as you you kind of noted, I'm I'm typically summarizing it as I'm I'm by trade a hacker and by training a hacker. And uh, most of my career was spent, as you mentioned, consulting and pen testing and red teaming. Um, I consider myself a, a, a constant noob and I love learning new things. And I think that, that's, uh, that also paints my, my career path along the years in changing roles and picking up new, new challenges and as you mentioned, you know I've, I've I've run through the the rigor of consulting and kind of hands-on uh, work with a lot of different customers worldwide, through working inside the industry as a vendor, as a um, you know as, as a provider of, of products and services, and more recently, more towards a. Uh, uh, more towards the, the client side with a couple of years um, at Amazon in information security and AWS, and more recently in the past two and a half years as the chief security officer for, for Simpra. So uh, kind of a long transition, uh, picking up skills along the way, picking up new, new areas of, uh, of interest, um, sort of missing some of the hands-on, you know, it, it's still, uh, I still get my, my fingers kind of tickling uh, once in a while, when I see some uh, some new vulnerabilities and playing around with new technologies, but uh, most of my work these days is comprised of uh, of running, you know, kind of strategic risk and security for for multi-billion-dollar
0: organizations at uh, at Simpress. Yeah, and and Simpress it's actually a group of companies, right? So you have VistaPrint under a brand and a few other well-known brands.
1: Yeah, we've got 15 different brands uh, or 15 different businesses under the, the Simpris umbrella. The, the biggest and uh, most notable one, especially here in the US is obviously Vistaprint. Uh, here in the US, we also have National Pen uh, based out of San Diego. Uh, we have Build Design uh, based out of Austin, Texas. Um, and outside the US, we've got uh, a few more businesses ranging from PixArt through and Rock Easy Flyer, Exit Group, um, Simpress China, we've got operations in pretty much all over the world. Uh, but overall, yes, we're, we're about 15 businesses. And one one of the, the biggest challenges there is that we're operating in, in a highly decentralized manner. So each business kind of runs by, its el- by itself and is free to make its own decisions, especially around technology, uh, which makes my job super interesting or, or <laughs> super challenging if, if you'd like, <laughs> yes um but i think again that that's pretty much the reason why I, I jumped into this uh trying to tackle you know security from a different perspective making sure that there's security is truly an enabler for those businesses to keep being innovators in their own fields in their own markets and geographies uh, and that's really a challenge that that appealed to to me as a, as a
0: practitioner okay thank you for the intro and uh, you know i i really liked uh What you told about yourself uh i think you i believe you used the term constant noob and uh yeah and that that's very modest obviously and you know having to know you just a bit (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm pretty impressed i think i will use that as like like one of the headers in you know when I published this podcast, but uh... I, I
1: don't know, you know, I, I think you have to have that mentality in, in this industry. It's moving so fast. And uh, I, I truly don't see unless you're really focused on a specific uh, technical area, uh, and you're really going in depth just for that. Uh, only then you can, I, I think again, personal opinion, obviously, yeah. I, I, I probably am wrong, but only then you can kind of call, call yourself an expert in that field. Other than that, you, I, I, from a mentality perspective, I would rather keep myself in that constant noob category, uh, keep my eyes out, I love learning new things. I love, you know, kind of getting that slap in the face of, holy shit, I have no idea what this is. Um, it, it kind of led me to my last position at Amazon. Uh, you know, I was comfortably running uh, application security at, at uh, Amazon information security on, on the non AWS side. And I, I saw, uh, an interesting position on the AWS side for running security for, for what's now is called the, the Nitro instances, mm-hmm. um, which also included all of the hardware stack. And, you know, as a, as a as an arrogant hacker, I was like, oh, hardware, yeah, of course, I used to do that, it's hardware hacking. You just, you know, plug into JTAG and, pl- you know, pull the firmware and, and reverse it a little bit uh, and I got such a huge slap in the face when, when I understood that, I'm like, no, buddy, this is, you know, what you're talking about is, is high level. This is, you know, <laughs> when we're talking hardware, we're talking chip design, we're talking silicone, we're talking, you know, building computers from the ground up. And I realized, I, I literally told them, this is amazing. This is, this is so fascinating. This is so cool. I have no idea how to run security or, or you know, how security applies to that. I want this job and uh you know it's it's, a, it's an amazing opportunity to learn new things uh, so I, I i guess i keep constantly running or, or looking for those challenges to to kind of challenge myself and, and learn new things
0: yeah and i think it's a very interesting uh, state of mind and i think it it does uh, i mean i don't think it's i think the, the majority of the seasons right now do not feel that way and and, and i do appreciate it uh okay. <laughs> but but yeah so 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 moving on uh i believe that so th- there are actually a couple of uh questions that i usually ask here to to break the ice so to speak so, so marital status i believe you're married plus four,
1: four so, overall yeah four overall
0: yeah <laughs> yeah okay yeah that i know of <laughs> <laughs> yeah well let's keep it at that
1: uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm paying for it's yeah.
0: <laughs> favorite drink. Uh, you know, I know Caesars tend to like whiskey. I'm not sure what's your favorite drink is.
1: Um, I'm open, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, I've got a pretty wide variety, but, uh, but yeah, I, I don't want to kind of stick to a, to a particular brand. Um, I like everything from a good glass of wine to a nice cocktail based typically on whiskey or bourbon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's all, you know, I'll uh, I'll stick to a Manhattan. Let's uh, let's keep it there.
0: (laughs) Great. (laughs) So let's dive right in. I have a bunch of questions here that I want your take on. Uh, Let's start with the first one. So what's what's the one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career?
1: Oh, wow. Um, It's not about technology. As weird as it sounds, information security or cybersecurity is not just about technology. Uh, yes, technology plays a big part and, and should and could be used as a uh, stepping stone or as, uh, as a way to drive change, but it's not just about technology. Uh, it would have saved me a lot of effort and probably years of uh, fighting windmills uh, as a technology purist. Uh, when I was uh, in, in my early days in security. Um, and it's, it's uh, security is really mostly about the people. It's mostly about protecting people, what they care about, uh, businesses, all of that, you know, fluffy stuff that, uh, again, if, if I do kind of a rewind 20, 25 years, uh, I would I will look at that stuff and say, ah, this is, you know, MBA stuff. And, you know, these people who don't understand the true nature of technology. Yeah, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, I wish I, w- I could go back to the Ian of uh, 25 years ago and it's like, hey, it's not about technology, <laughs> buddy.
0: <laughs> yeah, and actually yeah. I've heard this answer before uh, from other seasons as well. So hmm. I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people that grew as, you know, and that came from the technical side, whether it was IT or development or, or hacking, you know, you're very focused in what you do. You keep your head down. But then mm. when you look up, you, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I think only then Am you on, realize, all, yeah, here, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, moving on. So, so it's not about technology. It's mostly about the people. That was, uh, the, the key takeaway so, here.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: What would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
1: Um, I, it's a good question. I think that one of the, one of the things that, uh, it, it brings me back um, to my early consulting days. Um, and again, it, it really ties up to that previous question. Uh, I was on a gig and um, on site with a client in, in France, of all places, uh, implementing some crypto technology and, and building some code for them. Yeah, as, as as you pretty much described it, like head down, just doing my thing, uh, you know, implementing new new crypto techniques and, and new crypto algorithms, uh, at least new for that time, uh, completely oblivious of what's going on, of the business context of what's going on with the company that hired us to do this. 100% relying on kind of the back office, uh, you know, the project managers and all that, again, fluffy things. To deal with, uh, uh, to kind of take this off of my shoulders to to keep me focused on on the technical work, finished the job, got back to uh, got back to Tel Aviv, and uh, I get a call from from my manager from from the CTO of the company uh, I was working for, telling me that the customer is is highly dissatisfied with uh, with my work, and I'm mm. like, what do you mean? I mean, I've, I've, this is a brand new crypto algorithm that, that, that's, you know, that, that's uh, like the top of the line, implemented it, tested it for them, they were happy, you know, everyone was like you know, high-fiving and congratulating me and it was like, yeah, but, but they, they thought that you did this and you did that. Again, from, from a social perspective, I completely missed the boat in terms of making the right connections and kind of selling or catering for what the customer actually needed in terms of getting support from, from a security professional and I was just kind of, you know, head down doing my thing, producing code that worked and integrated, but missed the, the the entire communication spectrum of making sure that the customer actually knows what's going on, knows what I'm doing, and doesn't feel like I'm I'm just like in my little cubby all day doing my thing. They they actually suspected or thought that I was hacking them or or doing something nefarious. And and for me, it was again, kind of a huge releva- revelation of, I can't, you know, first of all, as a consultant, never just defer all the uh, all the bureaucracy and, and kind of client management to someone else. It's your responsibility. And, and as a hacker, as a professional, as a security professional, you have to understand that you're operating within the context. So, um, you know, that that notion of uh, of the brilliant jerk that uh, that of often gets a pass because they're so good at what they do uh, but they're socially just not you know they can't work in a team and they're always assholes to everyone around them because they're so brilliant it doesn't really work you know it's not worth it it's uh, it's more of a liability than than uh, um, than a than a value uh, so that you know that that was a huge failure on my end and you know a, a, the dissonance between the quality, you know, my perceived quality of, of deliverable that I provided and what the customer felt uh, for me was a huge failure. Uh, yeah. And again, one, one of the, the that first times where I learned what, what it really means to be a consultant.
0: Yeah. But I think the fact that you remember it as such, um, and I mean, you did mention it was a slap in the face. So I'm betting that was one of the, you know, possibly it was one of the triggers that, that, that led to a change, right?
1: For me, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah of course, basis, for you. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. okay, yeah, you know, so you, you probably learned more from your biggest failure than you from some accomplishment. Learned, yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely, 100%. Uh, you know, to, to do something right, sometimes you need luck, sometimes it, it just happens. And the learning opportunity from that is almost zero, because you have almost, mm-hmm nothing to debrief on yep. uh, to do something wrong and to identify that quickly to learn from it much more valuable so yeah
0: absolutely so touching on your biggest failure can you share your biggest uh, accomplishment hmm. i
1: uh, i don't want to peg that into kind of a, a professional aspect of the career if if you will i mean if if you're if you're if you're saying look Ian, you have to pick a, a professional accomplishment, I can probably think of some, something. But from from a personal mm-hmm. perspective, I think that my my biggest accomplishment is is setting up starting the the local CON group in Tel Aviv, and having it still run after over 10 years now. I think and that that would probably be it. It started when I was. Getting really frustrated uh, by flying back and forth from Tel Aviv to Vegas every year, meeting a lot of people on the plane or in Vegas that live literally 10 minutes from me, uh, and meeting them only that once a year, uh, and missing out on, on catching up with them in Tel Aviv where we actually live <laughs> the rest of the year. Um, and it drove me to start up, you know, just start the DEFCON group in Tel Aviv and, uh, and, and run it for, for a few, few good years, uh, get to a point where I'm able to delegate and kind of pass the baton off to uh, someone else to keep running it and still seeing it thrive and, and succeed and, and go on and have meetups every month with, with a couple of talks and socialization and really having a community get, come together in, in Tel Aviv that was absolutely missing before, before that.
0: Yeah. And I think I remember the first time that, uh, that you've published that, um, yeah, and definitely creating a community. I think it is a big, uh, a big accomplishment. Um, so what advice would you give to someone who want to pursue a career similar to yours?
1: Wow. Uh, don't do it. <laughs> uh you know, there's, there's probably better ways to pursue a career similar to mine, or at least to get to the point where I got to. As you said before, I, I, I personally think that I learned more from mistakes and I'm willing to take risks and, um, you know, and make the wrong decisions. I'm sure that there's a way to, to get to, to the point where I am at now in probably half the time that it took me. Uh, so my advice would be: don't do it. If you do want to do it and you're really passionate about it, uh, I would say focus on on the failures, um, not not from a kind of compulsive, obsessive way, but really from a learning opportunity. Um, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. No one died. No one got bankrupt. I hope, uh, <laughs> yet. Uh, so really. You know really focus on identifying those failures fast um, and I'm quoting you know obviously smarter people about failing fast and iterating quickly uh, but it, it it really does work uh, and I love that state of mind of learning and and failing and learning from it and and trying to, trying again and changing an attitude and kind of tweaking parameters uh, really put put yourself into it uh, if you're doing this. Or the money, or the fame, or whatever other aspect, just don't do it. It's not worth it. And I I feel lucky that I'm doing something that I'm I'm truly passionate about, that I consider a hobby. And, you know, uh-huh. every day. So sometimes I'm like, I'm getting paid to do this. This is this is
0: amazing. <laughs> yeah.
1: And so it's it's really about sticking to to what what drives you and and something that you're passionate about.
0: Mm-hmm. And for me, I think the key here is to fail, fail small and fail fast. So try not to have a, like too big of a failure. Yeah. But do do learn from all your little failures. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and okay, so r- remind me in terms of your role right now that you that you occupy. Mm-hmm. Are you under IT in any sense? Are you? Um, is sit parallel to IT or to DevOps or to any, you know?
1: Not, so I, I'm not really connected or, or dependent on IT. Uh, I, I personally see security and IT as, as conflicting interests to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. There needs to be, I think that, that these two things should be in, in close partnership, but uh, from a reporting perspective or from a responsibility perspective, I see most of my role as more more of a business function than a technology function. And again, I'm you know under my responsibility is also physical security, not just information security. I'm I'm highly involved with our with our enterprise risk management, the ERM group at Simpress, kind of running risk for the entire for the entire group. Uh, highly involved with legal and privacy and hr and finance so you can't really i i at least in my perception you cannot uh, tie it purely to it uh, and because of that conflict of interest there is a there is a problem with uh, with direct it reporting in in my mm-hmm. mind
0: okay yeah and and that's definitely one of uh two major notions, I think. A lot of the CISOs that I've uh, interviewed lately though, they were a part of IT and most of them told me the same. They told me that the, the ability to be, you know, very close to the resources. And although there is a, an inherent uh, conflict of interest, most of them said that, uh, you know, the fact that they report to, you know, either the CTO or the CIO, you um, Usually helps them run uh, projects uh, in a more efficient manner. N- now I, I do I do understand what you're saying and wh- and where you're coming from, and personally I agree with that. But uh, it's just you know I'm just curious because obviously you have a lot of successes in those other seasons as well. They they've had a lot of successes as well. So, so I'm just wondering, I mean, is it a cultural thing? Is it, uh, will it, you know, does it look the way it does because, you know, specifically we're talking about Sympress um, or? I, I
1: don't think so. I th- again, I think that the successes are because of the fact that we managed to create good partnerships with the technology functions mm-hmm. rather than with reporting lines. Okay. For me personally, it, it also means that I've managed to create good partnerships with other functions uh, other than technology. Again, finances is a great example. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a, a, an ongoing catch up with our CFO. And then you know, for me, that's, that's a part where I do a lot of my calibration in terms of risk tolerance and areas of focus and, uh, and things that really matter to the business. Not to discount what what we're doing from a technology perspective, but you know, from, from a from a CFO perspective, they really see what what makes the business tick, and and for them, success and failure might have different implications than from a, for for the technology functions. And I think that as a security executive, you have to have both views and to be able to. Not really mediate, but but to combine both aspects and uh, and factor them into your uh, into your job, and to make sure that you're successful in both in both aspects.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, and I think it goes back to what you said at the beginning. That it's all about the people, right? So obviously, if you didn't have soft skills um, and you weren't able to form relationships and, and partnerships, you you weren't as you weren't as successful as you might have been. Okay. Yep. Uh, What are the best resources that have helped you along the way? And I'm talking, you know, about anything from colleagues, partners, vendors, customers, um, basically anything.
1: Uh, First of all, the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, being able to access such a huge breadth of information, uh, being forced to apply judgment and, and logic to what you're reading and what's available. You know, not, not, not everything on the internet is correct. I mean, I know it's, it's shocking revelation. Uh, even I can post something on the internet on my blog and, you know, s- make it look like it's, it's right and it's completely wrong. So, so being forced, you know, first of all, having that breadth of, of, of all of the knowledge that humanity has <laughs> almost uh, and being forced to, uh, uh, to apply judgment to it is, is probably the number one. Number two is, um, I, I don't wanna name specific names, but having a good network of, of colleagues, friends, hackers, from all around the world has been indispensable. Uh, being able to tap into that communal knowledge, and it goes back to the community part that I mentioned before. Um, you know, no one person can, be, can, can just take all of this and whenever I run into a new, a new area of interest into, into some, something I, I know less about or know nothing about, I find it highly valuable to have this network and kind of be able to, to drop uh, this topic into a Slack channel or, or an IRC or, or whatever it is, and go like, "Hey guys, does anyone know how to deal with X?" Um, you know, security in X, security in Y. Uh, and almost knowing for a hundred percent that there's going to be someone that touched this that 's not just touched this but it has actual hands on experience in it and is probably considered one of the experts in that field indispensable mm-hmm. and so that's that 's definitely the um kind of the the second resource that that i'm i 'm still utilizing until this day
0: yeah yeah, of course. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting because on one hand, a lot of CISOs do not like to share, but on the other, I have seen a lot of, not a lot, but some networks and, you know, like networks of colleagues that that Mm -hmm. came about to be in the, in the past few years. So yeah, and definitely every CISO that I'm, I'm talking to basically tells me the same thing when I ask him you know, any question about how they choose a vendor or how they, they decide on like a typical product or service. So I think the, the answer is almost always the same. I reach out to my network.
1: Yes, we talk a lot amongst ourselves. There's, you know, I see it as indispensable. You have to be able to vet things around, especially in these days. Again, every vendor these days can can, Put out marketing and put out material that seems uh, that seem to make them the the best solution for for something. Uh, but unless you get firsthand experience from someone else who's tested it and had experience with it, doesn't mean anything. Uh, mm-hmm. So I I typically go to again either my network of of colleagues, CISOs, professionals, whatever it is, or I defer it to my my kind of technical advisors or people who report me is like. Can you really look into this? You know, I'm, I've tapped out of my technical expertise to be able to vet this, if this is right or wrong. Can you take a look at this and tell me what you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the way it, it runs these days, at least for me.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll touch more about this later. Um, can you name three people who have been the most influential to you?
1: Um, I would actually start with a couple of my professors back in university. Uh, so uh, I've been given a, an amazing opportunity when I was going through my, my college degree um, to, uh, to run a couple of research projects that were really outside of the curriculum and, uh, and have them account for, you know, for academic credits. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> that sounds typical to you. It's. You
1: know, <laughs> I was, you know, I I don't want to say I was getting bored, but I was uh, I was trying to, I you know, yeah, I was getting a little bored, and I wanted some some different challenges, and I I had a, an amazing opportunity of having uh, two two great professors uh, during my my college years. The first one is Professor Shimon Shacham, who was oh. uh, the the dean of uh, uh, of the Inter- interdisciplinary center in computer science. Uh, class and uh, uh professor yuda feck uh, um, which is uh, was also kind of the the dean of of the my first year or second year class uh, with both I've, I've i've developed some great research projects and they really taught me how to think critically you know write it's, it's it's something that a lot of us are are sometimes struggling uh, yeah. to express ourselves and put something in writing that's cohesive and kind of you can kind of learn from, uh, and really give me the opportunity to to expand and and try new things and and fail, uh, and and correct myself and iterate. Uh, one of those projects turned you know kind of evolved eventually into a course that's uh, that's still run in MIT these days. Uh, you know, wow, that's in, impressive yeah, building digital systems or something like that. I still have some credit in the, the book <laughs> that uh, Professor Shokin and, uh, and Yuda uh, wrote. So that's uh, that probably, you know, kind of the first person or persons that, uh, that I, was consider, I would consider uh, influential.
0: Um, so what was the name of the project? Because I, I've taken a class with, the, with Professor Shokin as well probably a few years after you graduated.
1: I, I think it's uh, building digital systems or, or something of that sort. You basically build a computer from scratch.
0: So from yeah, so, so yeah I've, I've looked at that. I mean, I've taken a class, so I yeah, <laughs> I actually passed that. And I remember that system where you put all the nodes and-, and Exactly, yeah, yeah you okay. start
1: with a NAND gate. Yeah. And you- end up building
0: a fully a full computer computer yeah yes. yeah you yeah. write
1: the operating system you write the firmware you write everything so
0: so that was actually i this is like one of the the only classes i actually remember and you know it shocked me back then to because that was the first time i actually realized how a computer work yeah so yeah and, and now I know to tag it back to you. So yeah.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's Professor Shocking again. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, a, yeah. Was you you were just a side, like
0: yeah, <laughs> just a sidekick. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, That's that's fine. Um, um, yeah. So what's uh, what is the the one common myth about your profession that you wanna that you want to debunk? Uh,
1: it's not as sexy as it looks. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, I, I think that that the most common myth is that everything is so dangerous, and Russia and China, and every, you know, we're being hacked left and right. It's it's not like that. It's really not like that. Yes, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of damage that can be done. That is being done from data loss and fines that are being paid and lawsuits and companies being closed. Yes, it's called correct. Yes, there is a lot of attack surface to even individuals that operate online. Um, but not everything is a, is, is a big fancy cat or bad, you know, cuddly bear or whatever it is. Uh, mm. Russia, China, Iran, Korea backed Thing it, most of what most people are dealing with, and that includes corporations and even you know big enterprises, is is just stupid hacking. It's it's uh, it's pr- spray and pray attacks, and um, it's unpatched systems and you know reused passwords that are being reused, and just just you know oversights from a lot of uh, architects and, and IT people that don't build things to to last. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest misconception. All this fancy hacking and green screen and, uh, and matrix style uh, stuff, yeah. doesn't really exist. It's uh, uh, the, the human factor in a lot of the, the cybersecurity elements and information security elements is huge. It's not just about technology. And, and we've been, you know as, as an industry, we have been exploiting the, the human function uh, alongside the technical one
0: mm-hmm.
1: for, for decades now. But, but what gets the spotlight is kind of the, the stunt hacking, the fancy hacking, the, oh, I can control your Tesla from the remote. It's like, yeah, in very specific conditions, if it's open to this, and if it's open to that, and if you, if you plug something into it, um, you know, th- there's a lot of focus on technology and not really focus on the actual context I mean, yeah so that that's i think one of the biggest things that uh, that needs to be debunked
0: and, you know and i think it uh i think it helps a lot of vendors to capitalize on scare tactics uh yes. you know because then you know yes. it creates a i'm not I'm, i wouldn't say coherent marketing strategy but it does you know help create like a more standing out marketing strategy but you you know going back to what you said earlier uh you pretty much I mean, if I'm interpreting you correctly, you pretty much tell the vendors don't invest in a in a marketing strategy, invest in a product, and you know, just because I'm bypassing the your marketing strategy as it is, I don't care about your brochures, I don't care about your videos or about your you know flash videos or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just get me a good product and yes. and 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 put some good. Uh, like like customer uh, opinions on that and and testimonials and yep. and you know convince my network and, and this is actually this is a topic I would like to touch on like uh, in one of the next uh, questions here sure. because I think it will provide a lot of value.
1: Yeah, and, and I I would actually I would actually enhance what what you just said and and kind of twist it around a little bit maybe not invest in the product but invest in the solution.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. okay. It, it, it might be terminology, but a product is one thing and a product can either solve a problem or address a, a very specific technical issue. And again, two different things. If something is a problem for me, I would like that solved. If there's a technical issue that, that, it, that does not manifest itself as a problem, I don't care about it. So you might solve that very technical issue but no one cares about. And a lot of vendors come from a point of inventing a problem, all right? And Then inventing a solution for that problem and making that the best solution to that problem that no one really has. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying, you know, focus on the solution. Focus on the solution that, you know, and, and work within, within the industry. Talk to a lot of CISOs, talk to a lot of companies, understand what are the problems that they're facing? You know, what solutions do they actually need And based on that, try to figure out, you know, can I address part of the problem, all of the problem and come up with solutions to that. So Mm -hmm. again, I know I might sound a little nitpicky there, but really focus on the solutions rather than than the products.
0: No, definitely. And I think that's one of your missions over at the uh, SVCI.
1: SVCI, yeah, Yeah. absolutely, absolutely. We invest in companies where we think that we can help uh, hone in on a problem and, and really Enable those those startups to come up with solutions that matter for, uh, for the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, and I'm wondering whether this answer that you just provided, or, or, or rather this insight, would affect my next question. And this question is, you know, is uh, definitely interesting for me to ask you to ask mm. you specifically because you were in the consulting space for a while yeah. uh so if you could and, and and again we know we've known each other for 20 years now and you you know i've founded this company uh or other a group of companies uh about uh, 11 years ago mm. and if you could step into my shoes right now what would you do what would you <laughs> i mean what advice would you give me um
1: that's a good one uh, Definitely keep keep expanding on the network of, of resources that you have, uh, being able to, to have conversations like this, being able to have a, an open discussion with potential customers and just people in the industry on what problems they're facing, what, what are their pain points, uh, to me, that was invaluable uh, back in my consulting days, being able to talk to my customers without the, the, uh, the client vendor uh, kind of uh, facade being between us, being able to sit down over beers or drinks or dinner or lunch or whatever it is, coffee, and just having an open conversation and, and asking like, you know, what, what challenges you? beyond the project that we're working on, beyond this specific, you know, pentest or red team or whatever it is, what other things concern you? Um, for me, that was a huge insight back in my consulting days. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that, that you know, you're, you're doing this better than I did in the past because you're, you're a successful CEO, you know, of 11 years consulting in this industry does not, does not come easy as, as you probably know. Uh, but I would say absolutely continue on that path Uh, continue expanding on it. Uh, One of the most interesting things that I did was uh, getting to a point where I could become kind of a trusted advisor function to CISOs, um, which to me seemed kind of backwards because I I think I got more from it than they did. (laughs) To be able to sit and listen to their problems and kind of be their their sidekick to uh, laying out, prioritizing initiatives from a strategic perspective, being able to kind of create a roadmap for, uh, for security in, in those companies. Um, that, that would probably be my advice. Delegate, delegate and delegate more, all of the technical aspects, all of the execution aspects to trusted people within your company. Uh, you know, Someone's responsible for delivery, give them 100% responsibility for delivery. Your job as a CEO is to sell and to kind of, you know, create a roadmap for your company to expand, identifying new areas where you wanna go into, uh, whether, you know, moving from GRC into trusted advisory, moving towards a, a, a specific area of expertise or expanding and saying, you know, uh, we're, you know we're, we're a sounding board for, for risk management or for creating security strategies. Um, these are completely different directions but you know you need a strong leader as, as a CEO you need to be a strong leader as a CEO to be able to say all right this is what we're going to do next uh, delivery will continue now we're building a, an additional function in the company uh, mm-hmm. so that that's that's what I would do in 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 your shoes
0: okay thank you so much that's invaluable um, yeah really um, so you know let's Talk a bit about uh, vendor relationships here, and I know it's uh, one of your favorite topics. <laughs> What's the most? And I well, I'm not sure if you'll have one single answer. What's the most annoying sales pitch you've encountered?
1: Yeah, there's there's no one single answer. There, there's a few <laughs> phenomena that uh, that really annoy me. You know, it, it's uh, from the unsolicited emails to unsolicited calls. I mean, I, I mean, calling me up on my cell phone is probably the most intrusive thing you can do if you don't know me or you have zero relationship with me and trying to sell me on something on the phone.
0: Well, they can, they can appear on your doorstep. That's even more intrusive. I've
1: had that once um, and uh, I was fortunately not, I mean, they appeared at the doorstep of my corporate office and uh, <laughs> we're like, yeah, I'll, I'll wait, it's all right. I was like, "All right, you you know, talk to the secretary once I'm free. I'm sure they'll let you up." Uh, and I was not even in the same state, so <laughs> uh, hopefully they will learn their lesson. Uh, but yeah, th- those that that those unsolicited pitches and kind of in-your-face marketing and the the warmongering and the fear, uncertainty, and doubt of you must be dealing with this insane risk. And you know, work from home now poses. Uh, you know, a huge spike in security incidents like, come on, it's, 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 you know, it's fun marketing. um I, I would classify it into like this one big ca- category of just horrible marketing and self pitches. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't have a single example. Uh, I love those emails like this is my third and last email. I was like, do you promise? <laughs> <laughs> Because I've seen this before, there's a follow-up email to that saying, you know, this is your last opportunity to get 15. I was like, no, <laughs> I thought that last email was the last email. <laughs> I hate those, They're, they clog my email. Um, I am sort of that, that OCD person that does read almost every email that I see. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be able to kind of skim through them and identify them as spam, which they are. But uh, I do remember them and I do remember the ones that are repeat offenders and I will get those on a on blacklist at some point because I think that's just bad management and bad guidance to the, those salespeople. I don't have anything personal against the actual people who are doing it. Uh, I have something against the companies that employ them and guide them to, to do those, those kind of sales tactics.
0: You know, I, I just had a thought, maybe what we should do is to form a group of CISOs that will only discuss marketing, like how to market, how to build good marketing. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident you would be able to, you know, to shift uh, your perspective and to maybe change even positions and maybe earn much more money if, if you're able to crack that. But yeah, just, just a thought. Uh, Maybe. Maybe.
1: <laughs> hopefully, we're doing something like that at SVCI. You know, having yeah. fifty fifty plus CEOs uh, working with different startups. Uh, hopefully, we do have. I, I I actually do think that we have an impact on how they position themselves, how they market, how they sell, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, us have us being there, providing that guidance. Hopefully, makes makes a change.
0: Yeah, but that's limited to only to the startups that you invest in, right? Yep. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um okay so uh, what it is that you are looking for in a vendor
1: i'm looking at, and again i alluded to that before uh, someone who knows a problem domain all right and, and knows how to uh, talk about a problem domain and really identify the areas in that domain that they can solve or that they can address having the humility to understand that they will almost never be able to solve the entire domain, uh, having the ability to identify what specific areas that they can they can address and to what level they can address. Uh, working with those vendors is, is, is truly a pleasure from, from my perspective, because it gives me an opportunity to challenge them and say, this is great, all right? First of all, kudos for identifying this correctly. Second of all, let's work on the challenge, let's work, you know, let's implement this, try to see if you can actually address the, the the issues that you say that you're addressing. And then based on that, you know, let's let's see together if we can create a roadmap for the both of us for addressing additional elements of that problem domain or calibrating again, once the par- product is implemented and, and the solution is in place and now measuring, all right, what else do I need to, to address and does that fit into your product roadmap. I think that these are the vendors that I love working with the most, having a really a true partnership. And I I truly see each one of my vendors as a partner for this, uh, both for myself as someone who can help me solve my problems, as well as for them uh, in terms of being able to create a roadmap that actually addresses real world, Mm -hmm. world problems and turn those back into products and solutions that they can keep marketing outside of, you know, Ian and, and Simpress.
0: Okay. So what would be the best advice you could give a vendor that, you know, feels he has a solution that might fit might fit to you? And and and, and you know, and still not um, connect with you in an intrusive manner. So because you did mention the network, but um i'm sure there are many vendors out there and maybe you do have a need for you know just to talk with some of them so how can they connect with you
1: Uh, i would say two ways one is do your homework and because you know i'm pretty open in terms of what i'm working on and, and kind of what my challenges are it's fairly easy to do proper OSINT so to speak on on the the businesses that we run and on Simpress in general and to identify what is our operating environment, you know, what challenges we're probably facing, and come up with a very succinct pitch or with a very succinct kind of approach of, hey, this might be of interest to you because I understand that this is your operating environment. The second way is to identify my existing relationships with vendors, with suppliers, with VARs and consultants, and, and work through them. You know, there, there's a reason why I have a network of trusted advisors and trusted vendors that I am working with, uh, because they're helping me vet a lot of those solutions. You know, uh, why should I work so hard when I can have a good relationship with, with, a, with a local VAR that can do that work for me, that have this trust relationship with myself that does understand, you know, my roadmap and my strategy and knows to propose and, and kind of bring up different solutions uh, for my review based on that understanding. So again, it's not a huge secret with a little bit of work, they can understand who I'm working with. And uh, sometimes I will actually point them to, uh, to my trusted advisors and say, you know what, work with them, Uh, try it out. You know, they will guide you through the process. They will maybe test it on a a couple of other customers, maybe smaller ones, maybe ones that have this problem in a much prominent position. Mm run there and then they'll, they'll, bring, they'll bring you to me after vetting you and, and making sure that you're actually doing what you're, you're claiming to. Perfect, sorry.
0: So yeah, so you shared uh, uh, some meaningful ways in which vendors can connect with you. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure this, would, this might help uh, some of our listeners. Um, is there any way uh, our listeners can actually connect with you? And I know you have a blog, you have a website, maybe you, you wanna share about that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a blog on uh, iamid.org uh, slash blog. Uh, that, that's my website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I do have an Instagram Instagram account, but my daughter tells me it's boring and I'm not posting enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, these are kind of the, the typical ways. Again, be respectful. Don't, don't, send me FUD, <laughs> uh, huh. I, I do try to engage with people. Don't try to just will and connect to me on LinkedIn. I try to keep that a professional network for people who I've actually interacted with and, and kind of, you know, um, I typically say met in person, but in COVID days, uh, if we zoom together, uh, that, that's yeah. okay as well. that's the
0: equivalent of <laughs> yeah. in yeah, person. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we almost met in person just like a week before the COVID hit. In San yep. Francisco, right? Yeah,
1: in San Francisco. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, someday soon.
1: Soon, soon. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't think they'll be having RSA in person this year, right? They have it virtually.
1: I don't think so. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, as as someone who's who's been involved with B sides for for a long time now, uh, we we canceled our B sides Vegas uh, earlier this year. And we didn't go for a virtual event either. Uh, we, we don't think that's
0: appropriate for. Yeah, us. it's not. Or and, besides. and it's <laughs> and not the same, you know, I think uh, I've no. attended a few of the, those virtual conferences. It's just not, it's not, it's the, not same. the same. And no. I think yeah. what you said before, you know, meeting a colleague, a customer, a friend, mm-hmm. uh, over a beer, a burger, yeah. you know, anything like in-person meeting, you can't really take that away. You can't really yeah. it's equate anything value. to that. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um, what's the, so we're coming up uh, and we're very close to wrapping this podcast. Uh, let me just ask you a few quick uh, questions here. Sure. What's the single most important thing to you in your career?
1: Um, to keep enjoying it. To, wow. Really to, to, to be able to wake up in the morning and be excited about the day, about the week, about what what's ahead of me. If I lose that, and and I've lost it a few times in my past, uh, that's typically a sign for me that I should be making a change. If I'm bored, if if I find this kind of a mundane thing, to just kind of rolling with the punches, it's it's not for me. Uh, so yeah, the the keeping that passion, keeping that interest, the challenge, uh, for me is the number one thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I think there is a quote: uh, If you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life, right? And I think okay. you live by it.
1: Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. It makes it very challenging. I mean, I've 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 changed jobs a few times in the past, uh, after a fairly short amount of time, because I've lost that drive. I've lost the passion, and you know, a lot of people were were telling me, well, you you've finally reached the point where you can kind of step back and just you know sit back and relax and get paid. And you know things are running you don 't have to work really hard i 'm like exactly it 's like i 've lost it this is what 's the interest in that so uh, to a degree, I know it it hurts me, and that there 's a lot of people who are sitting in those positions who have put in this this one two three years of you know building and, and kind of creating something that that runs by itself and they allow themselves to to sit back and relax and kind of enjoy the fruits of their labor. But for me, that's a- uh, It's boring. Know, I, I, it's boring, yeah, I'll do that. And I'll be like, all right, what's the next challenge? And if I can't find it in this position, then yes, I will look for, for I'll start looking for other positions. I, I think that, you know, that's what's been driving me in the, my last few positions. And I've been, you know, fortunate enough to land those positions that allowed me to keep pursuing, to keep uh, challenging, to keep expanding, including my existing one. I mean, I, you know, when I started this position, I didn't know what an ERM was, what enterprise risk management was. And I ended up you know, getting into that group and making changes and implementing new things and learning and teaching and you know, other things that I'm doing these days that are uh, completely outside of what the initial job description even entitled uh, and even changing the job description as I was getting hired because <laughs> you know I I, I got the, the proposal and I was like well actually this is cool I love this but if the job description would be this <laughs> I would absolutely take it and you know it came back to me as like you know what let's do it let's let's do this what you proposed uh, so mm-hmm. having that you know flexibility and having that kind of really partnership in the way that you work at uh, and having the executive, the rest of the executive management get it and, and work with you is truly truly
0: the, the way to go
1: from, from my perspective.
0: Okay, uh, coming up to one of my favorite questions here, if you had done limited funds, what would you do with your life?
1: Hmm, so many things. <laughs> um, surprisingly, it's not, you know, building this dream home, or or something like that. Um, it it would be to be able to keep this hobby of learning new things and picking up you know uh, new challenges. Uh, it it wouldn't be buying the most expensive car I can think of. You know, I'm I'm driving a Prius. <laughs> I, oh. I can probably afford something a little fancier, but that works for me you know I'm, I'm not racing you know i love racing and and i will take a, a an exotic car in vegas any any day of the week but uh, not as my daily driver uh, i would i would allow myself to to do things that that i always wanted to do you know i learn how to pilot a plane and um, you know uh, sail a boat and um, you know Take up other interesting hobbies, you know. Get back into scuba diving and and uh, racing motorcycles, and mm-hmm. you know, keep keep doing the things that that uh, that keep me alive.
0: That makes you think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that makes you yeah feel alive,
0: yeah. Uh, and definitely, you know, some of the things that you mentioned are on my list as well. Uh, specifically, uh, piloting a plane. I actually looked into that before COVID uh, hit. Yeah you know because i live in california now so you have a lot mm-hmm. of options here yep, uh, yep, yeah uh yeah but maybe maybe someday
1: covid uh, drove me to start uh, start doing that i'm uh <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm more than halfway through my theory tests and uh i'm well into my first 10 hours of uh of
0: nice flight. nice <laughs> impressive yeah super uh cool. Yeah. So just, uh, to wrap this up, uh, do you have any, anything that you especially love, you know, while reading, listening to watching anything that inspired you? It could be recently, could be, could be not recently.
1: Um, I, I try to keep, keep, uh, myself appraised of, you know, what's going on in the industry, what's going on in the world and just, you know, fantasy and other, and uh, reading or, Mostly listening materials these days with with Audible <laughs> uh, during my my runs in the morning and commute and, and whatnot. Uh, a couple of things that really uh, stuck were um, there's a great audiobook um, about from from an ex uh, um, ex seal. Uh, oh wow! I Can't remember. I, I can't believe it. I'm I'm really bad with names. Uh, but it's basically kind of his, his uh, life story of starting off uh, from, from a semi-broken home and, uh, and, and really believing in himself and, and getting himself through life, uh, finding his way into, into the, the U.S. military, uh, getting into that program, into the, the Navy SEAL program. Uh, keep challenging himself and taking on new challenges. He's one of the, the, the most prominent like amazing athletes in the world. Um, uh, that brute that, that book really struck me and and left uh, left its mark um uh, highly recommended uh, I'm gonna get to it in a second so I'll actually be able to
0: Sure, yeah, in into your cloud reader
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm logging into my Audible and uh,
0: Ah, (laughs) Embarrassingly,
1: yeah, embarrassingly enough.
0: uh, I don't
1: remember the name, but uh, here it comes. Uh, Yeah. Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Mm. Uh, Highly recommended. I'm sure the book itself is amazing, but the, the format of that audiobook is somewhere between a traditional audiobook when someone kind of reads the book and a podcast uh, because the narrator then interviews the author and oh. they talk about each and every chapter. So really? you, you kind of get, yeah, it's, it's a real, it's, it's an amazing experience. Uh, I think it's, it's a really innovative format and it was really fun to listen to. And getting that kind of, you know, straight up no bullshit uh, commentary about the, the written text from the author uh, really unabridged, really, you know, no filters, uh, I think is, is highly, highly valuable. And the content itself is fascinating, you know, between the stories and kind of the personal struggle and the, uh, the just a, the, the, the life kind of story around it. Uh, truly, truly inspirational. Uh, so that was fascinating. Um, uh, another, another kind of aspect um, of, of it that, uh, that I've found. Uh, really interesting again it's uh, it 's called extreme ownership um, again really great book it, it gave me a lot of confirmation on on a lot of my or, or you know a lot of my past experiences uh, from from a leadership and just management perspective um and and for me it was like oh you know this makes sense now uh, and and they kind of Put that in, in a good form, formulation of you know this this is what uh, leadership really looks like, uh, or at least you know the way it spoke to me uh, in terms mm-hmm. of leadership style and leading by example and working with your with your directs and, and really understanding how to drive people and how to uh, how to drive yourself and manage yourself as in, in that when you're put in that position um, Again, really resonated. I don't know if it's a coincidence that they're both coming in from kind of a military perspective. I'm not a big fan of trying to apply military leadership concepts into business. In
0: business yeah. uh,
1: so again, when, when you're hearing that, take that with a huge grain of salt. And and my advice would be to listen to those or read those and, and be able to filter and read and pick the really be, you know, free to pick and choose the things that you deem relevant to your personal experience and to your personal environment. Uh, it's not always a one-to-one translation. Uh, and I hate people that think that because, you know, all of us came from, from some military training and some military experience. Uh, a lot of people in, you know, that I ran, or at least some people that I ran to, into, ran into in, in my career, um, you know, mostly in the US, typically like to tag you, oh, so you're ex-military, so you must be X, Y, Z. It's like, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. (laughs) Um, But again, pick and choose. Uh, There's a lot of great material there that I think that either you'll be able to confirm some of the approaches that you're taking or calibrate some of your leadership and kind of uh, management approaches and be able to uh, to utilize that in your your day-to-day life
0: and the name of that second book was extreme ownership extreme
1: ownership yeah okay yeah okay
0: thank you uh yeah we're at the i think this is uh, almost the the end of the podcast so um i just wanted to thank you again i do appreciate you taking the time i know how busy your schedule must look like (laughs) And I do realize that you're now traveling as well. So it's, it's really, it's really appreciated.
1: Absolutely. And
0: on a personal okay. note, I, you know, I really hope that we'll be able to meet in person, um, maybe sometime soon.
1: Soon, soon. Maybe please. we
0: can take the either the Chinese or the Russian vaccine in the meantime. <laughs> uh, I suggested that, but my wife doesn't really like that idea too much. Uh, spotnik I'm, I'm, I'll sign yeah. up. Yeah, <laughs> 6 five, six, yep. four. Well, yep. Yeah, one of those. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining. And pleasure. Yeah, hoping to see you soon. Definitely. Thank Thanks. you. Bye bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of CISO's Insiders. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more professional content, please check us out on social media.